I'm going to ask you to follow me back to Colossians chapter 3 again tonight. When I first got started teaching God's Word, when I had teaching responsibilities early on, I started out with a 4th, 5th, and 6th grade boys Sunday school class. And there wasn't a whole lot of teaching that took place. It was more of like refereeing or wrestling match every Sunday morning. So for those of you here tonight that are teachers in our children's departments, thank you for what you do. Thank you for pouring into our kids. Thank you for loving them so well. Thank you for teaching them the Word of God. And I promise you a lot more sticks than what you realize and what little moments you may have to actually get them to sit down and be still and teach them the Word of God. But I remember when I was teaching that class one time, we were going to do a study in the book of Colossians. And one of the kids in there corrected me and said that the proper way to pronounce Colossians was Galoshes. I said, no, that's what you wear when it rains outside. Colossians is what we find in the Word of God. So if you, mind, if you don't mind finding me in, in Colossians or Galoshes, whatever it is you want to refer to it as tonight, we're going to pick back up. The series is hitting reset. And here's the main purpose behind why I believe God led me to this to share with you. It's because throughout Scripture, we're taught in several places that there are certain areas of our lives that are to be set on or in specific ways. And if you were here last week, we talked about that in a more general, broad kind of way about how we all could benefit from just resetting everything in our lives at certain moments. But tonight I want to start getting a little more specific, a little more detail pointed on these areas of reset. And so the first one we're going to find is in Colossians chapter 3, just simply in the first verse. And God's Word says, If then you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. So here Paul, and even Jesus in his teachings when he was here on the earth with us, show us that there is a specific way that our eyes are to be set. So we're going to look at resetting our eyes tonight. It's a church-wide eye exam, so to speak. And so I got a few images that I want us to look at together. And I'm going to join in on the eye exam as well. And I kind of just want to know what you see. So take a look at this first image with me. And some of you may see one thing. Some of you may see another. Like how many of you see a fancy drinking glass? How many of you see two faces looking at each other? How many of you just now saw the two faces looking at each other? All right, let's go to the next image. I want to know what do you see? Do you see two alligators? Or do you see a bird? It's interesting how you can see one or the other, or both if you look at it long enough. I'm really looking for just what you see first. It's interesting uh, how God made our eyes to work. How just in the process of actually seeing an image, so many things are taking place. But it's not just in seeing the image, it's how our eyes work in tandem with our brain to process it. It's a fascinating process to me how God created our eyes to work and so here's my title for tonight I want to ask it in the form of a question what do you see what do you see bump somebody next to them and ask them what do you see what did you see some of us saw the birds some of us saw alligators some of us saw the drinking glass some of us saw two faces what do you see 
Paul tells these people, if you have been raised with Christ, you see differently. For those of us who have been raised with Christ, we see differently than the world around us. We see circumstances differently. We see outcomes differently. We see people differently. We see success differently. Followers of Jesus see and look at things differently than the world around us. And, and I, can't, I, can't sh I can't wait to share the things that God has placed on me for you tonight, but I just want to go ahead and, and tell you up front, nothing about it is going to be complicated to grasp or understand. They're all very simplistic, what I would call basic truths. So I don't want to hear after it's all said and done, man, Trey, that, that's, that was it. That's all you got. Like between last week and this week, that's the best that you could come up with in your study time. I'm just telling you, like none of this stuff is going to be like groundbreaking. It's nothing you never heard before. These are all going to be simplistic, basic truths. But listen to me, just because they're simple doesn't mean they're shallow. That's why people came up with the expression, easier said than done. It's simple, but it's not shallow. The concept is easy, but the action isn't. Agreed? I feel like so much of what Jesus shared with his disciples and so much of what we read in his teachings, in his words, we look at and we think, well, it's easier said. The problem is in the doing. Easier said than done. Just because it's simple doesn't mean it's shallow. See, these believers, they had forgotten something. They had forgotten that it matters what we see and what we seek after. So I want us as a church to be reminded that it matters what we see. And it matters what we seek after. And God, through his word, says, take a look at this. He says, seek the things that are above. So the first thing I want to point out as it pertains to our vision, as it pertains to resetting our eyes, is that you've got to determine your direction. With our vision, you have to determine your direction. It's interesting the way God created our eyes to work. They're very complex parts of our body. And we don't have time tonight to get into all the complexities behind their function. But one thing I do want to point out is that God, in His sovereignty... And we believe that he makes no mistakes, that he doesn't do things by happenstance, that we are not the result of some cosmic coincidence clashing together in the cosmos to form us all and place us here. God chose in his sovereignty to give us binocular vision. So there's your deep, profound truth for tonight. I told you the rest of it going to be basic, simple. Maybe that's something that's just deep. Wow. Hey, go home. Kids, go home tonight and tell your parents, hey, I learned at church tonight we got binocular vision how about that? How's that stir you up? God in his sovereignty chose us to give us binocular vision, which means this. We see with both eyes, but fixed in a single direction. We have the capability and the capacity to see with both eyes fixed in a single direction. That's what it means to have binocular vision. At best, our field of vision spans about 180 degrees. So if you have really good peripheral vision in your corners, you can see out to the sides a little bit. Like I can see my hands looking right at, I'm looking right at Ryan right now, and I can see my hands out to this point. Now they're gone. 
So about 180 degrees field of vision. But the thing is, my hands out to my side as I'm looking at him, I can't see those things very good. They're not focused. They're not at my attention. They're not in the detail of what I'm truly looking at with a single focused direction. So with our vision and the way it works, we have to have a determined direction. Our eyes must be set on a given place in order to take in with detail what we're trying to look at. God gave us binocular, single direction vision. We're not like chameleons who have the weird little alien eyes on the side of their head. And the fascinating thing about them is that they actually have multi-directional vision. They can see 360 degrees. Can you imagine if you could see 360 degrees at one time? Like you, I could be looking at Anna and at the drum set at the same time. Another weird fact, full of random knowledge tonight. They can actually choose, they can make the decision to see with monocular vision, which means they can choose to see out of just one eye if they want to. So I, I guess if a chameleon wants to get really focused on what he's looking at and he don't want to see what's going on on the right side of his body, he can choose to just see out of the left side of his body. That's amazing how God created that weird creature to be. But I'm saying all that to show you that in his sovereignty, he did not choose to make us like that. Why didn't God give us a 360-degree field of vision? Why did he have to give us binocular, single-direction vision? If everything he does is with purpose, if everything he does is with plan, then I have to believe there's a reason why he made our eyes to work like they do. And so I want to hopefully show you that tonight and, and, and I, I think the best way to do it is maybe to illustrate the point so y'all like my bucket of balls how many of you are reminded of Chuck E. Cheese right now I'm gonna ask my sister to come up here and help me out with this tonight we're gonna play catch throughout the night tonight that's good right there now I asked her to help me out because we grew up playing catch in the yard and I have spent many many hours instructing her on how to catch and trust me it was one of my greatest life's work. <laughs> so don't let me down tonight. We would go out in the yard and, and I would have her run routes with a football. There's no lie. Like we played football game and everything, man. And Alabama won every single time, never lost. Undefeated in like eight consecutive years. But we would go out and we would play catch. We'd throw the ball around. Now the thing about playing catch is if she knows that we're going to play a game of catch with each other, then she has to also determine where the ball is going to come from. It's not just enough for her to know, hey, I'm fixing to play catch with my brother. She has to determine the direction in which the ball is going to come from if she's going to catch it. Agreed? So we could be standing straight in front of each other. I can throw her the ball. We're good to go. She throws it back. She catches it. Why? Because she knows the direction that it's going to come from. Now, I don't have to be standing right here. I can move all across the stage if she knows we're playing catch, what does she do? She follows the direction that I go in. So the same is true. I can move over here. She does the same thing. You can say where you're at. She follows the direction of where I'm going to be at. Her head always follows where she knows the direction of the ball is going to come from. It doesn't matter how far. It doesn't matter how close. It doesn't matter what angle. She has determined the direction that the ball is coming from and preparing herself to catch it whenever I throw it. We're good for right now. We're going to finish the game here in a little bit later. So Paul says, 
I want you to see this. Paul says, seek the things that are above. He gives us a determined direction. In which way to look? Where? Above. Above is a direction in which we as followers of Jesus are having determined, set upon with the way in which we look. As a man or woman of God, your eyes are to be set on a higher plane. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, We look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. We're to be looking around as followers of Jesus with eternity in mind. Not so focused on the temporal things, but more focused on things that are set above, on a higher plane. They go so much further and they go so much deeper than the things of this world that we are constantly surrounding ourselves with. That's what it means to look above. It means to look with eternal vision, to see so much more than just the temporary side of things, to see so much more than just the side of things where moth and rust are going to destroy, to see so much more than that. So let me, let me put it to you like this. It, it, it tells us that we don't just see people, we see souls. We don't just see pain, we see purpose. We don't just see death, we see resurrection. We don't just see coincidence, we see sovereignty. That's what it means to seek the things that are above, to have any eternal mindset, to have an eternal vision that, that sees just beyond the surface of things into the reality that there is so much more at work than just what is visually taking place around us. Our pastor this morning when he was sharing the word talked about how even now there is a spiritual warfare taking place that we cannot see, that we are not visually aware of, but we know what's happening. In eternal spaces, there are wars taking place Battles taking place right now, currently, over the state of your mind, over the state of my mind, over the state of your soul, if you don't know Jesus. There is all kinds of things taking place right now in an eternal realm. And Paul says, seek the things that are above. As men and women of God, we should be developing this direction where we no longer just look on a temporal surface plane, but on one that is so much higher and so much more eternal. I don't doubt the vast majority of us here have experienced rebirth and redemption in Jesus. That being said, for those of you that have, isn't it awesome to know his grace? Isn't it awesome to know his love? Isn't it awesome to know his mercy? Isn't it awesome to know his forgiveness? Isn't it awesome to know his abundance? Isn't it awesome to know his blessing? But I'm so convinced that a lot of us with our eyes have determined a direction that has us looking far too low. You're looking at lesser when you should be looking at something that is so much greater. Some of you in this room tonight, you love Jesus, and you've got goals, but in love, I'm going to say this, your goals are lesser because you're not looking at your goals, you're not setting your goals above you're not looking with a higher plane. You're not looking with an eternal goal in mind. And Jesus said, greater things that you'll do because I go to the Father. 
Some of us as followers of Jesus, we have goals, but those goals are not set on things above, and so they're lesser, and you need to hear Jesus say, but you'll do greater things if you set your sights on me. Some of you in this place love Jesus, and you've got plans, but let me say this in love, your plans are lesser. That's why Jesus said, seek first my kingdom. Seek first my plans for your life. Don't worry about all this other stuff and how it's going to fall into place or what your life is going to become. I'm telling you, you worry about seeking my kingdom first. And all these other things can be added at a later time, but seek first my kingdom. Some of you have got plans, but they're just a little bit lesser. You need to be seeking above kingdom plans, kingdom blueprints, kingdom choices, kingdom decisions on what to do with your life and where to go with it. Some of you have desires, but God love you, those desires are lesser. Jesus taught us that thy will be done. It doesn't matter what I desire. It doesn't matter what I want. It doesn't matter what I feel like I need. The only thing that matters is the will of the Father and what he has set apart for me to do. Get your plans aimed higher. When you seek things that are above, all those things begin to fall in the place. Seek that which is above. Uh, let me ask why would we look in the direction of things that would cause us to live at a lower position than where Christ has placed us? And so many believers are underutilizing your privilege as a son or daughter of the king. Why? Because you're not seeking that which is above. You've got a direction, it's just aimed too low. Determine your direction on higher things tonight. Then there's another side to this that goes along with our vision. Once you've got that taken care of, you've got to then fix your focus. So go back and look at what Paul says. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Then watch what he adds to that. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So once you've given your eyes a direction to look in, they then move into the focusing stage of your vision. So Paul says, look up, then focus in. And it's pretty cool because he shows us that when you seek the things that are above, your focus can't help but fall on Christ because that's where he is. So when I seek the things that are above, my focus wants to automatically gravitate to locking in on Jesus because that's where he is. Paul says, seek the things that are above where Christ is. If you begin to seek things that are above, your focus is going to fall into place on who it should be on, and that is Jesus Christ. Seek the things that are above because that's where he is. In all that we do as a church, as an individual follower, Jesus is to be the focal point. In our praying, Jesus is to be the focus. In our worship, Jesus is to be the focus. In our serving opportunities, Jesus is to be the focus. At our jobs, Jesus is to be the focus in the classroom. Jesus is to be the focus when our feet hit the floor with each and every brand new God-given day that we have. Jesus is to be our focus. I know we have responsibilities. I know we have 
jobs. I know you've got tests and exams and papers. I know you've got games and practices and dances and band and all these other things that go on with life. But in the midst of every single one of those, Jesus is to still be your focus. I work a job. Why? Because there's people there that need Jesus. Sure, I go to class and I get an education, but while I'm there, my classmates need Jesus. Absolutely, I play sports and it's great, but my teammates need Jesus. Everything that we do as believers is to have Jesus as the focal point. Yet Paul is having to remind these believers of that. Why? Because our focus is easily fractured. The writer of Hebrews actually clues us into a couple of things that can fracture our focus. In Hebrews 12, 1, he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin that, seen, that clings so closely so two things we see that can fracture our focus the number one is weights so many things in our lives compete to grab our attention to grab our focus these weights of life that we have to deal with on a daily basis that just come with responsibility you've got bills to pay you've got a job to fulfill You've got marriage. You've got a spouse at home to take care of. You've got kids that have mouths to feed. You've got car repairs because it just broke down and you just got the other one fixed. You've got sports and ball games to go to and practices to get people to. You've got exams to study for. You've got papers to write. You've got a wedding to plan. You've got a retirement to prep for. It's constant. The weights of this life are constant and ever-changing and they're never-ending. And the writer of Hebrews says these weights, if we're not careful, can fracture our focus off of Jesus. But there's another one, too, that he adds on to that, and that's sins. Sin pulls our focus off of Jesus. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely. Sin pulls our focus off of Christ. It literally takes our eyes off of him and onto what shouldn't be. You've heard this several times before if you've been around church. Any any expanded amount of time in your life, you've heard somebody say to the effect that sin is what? Sin is missing the mark. You know why you miss the mark? Because your aim is off. You know why your aim is off? Because you ain't focused on what you should be aiming at. Sin pulls our eyes off of Jesus. Matthew 6, verses 22 and 23, Jesus is speaking. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Our focus gets fractured when we allow our eyes to take in things that which they shouldn't. And the only time that happens is when we take them off of what they should be on. That being Christ. Our eyes, they actually consist of two photoreceptors. They're called rods and cones. Our rods, they're unique. They don't actually process color, but they do help us to see in low-light conditions. Our cones are kind of the opposite. They receive colors. They help me to look across the room tonight and know that Keaton's sweatshirt is blue and Connor's boots are brown. Ashley's hair is blonde. 
all those things are my cones taking in those colors so that I can see them but they also require ample light in order to be able to define what it is that they are seeing now the interesting thing about this is that once again God in his sovereignty designed our eyes in such a way that our rods are located only on the outer rims of our retina that's why have you ever noticed at night if you look outside and there's hardly any light whatsoever you can see better at night out of your peripherals than if you look directly at the object if you don't believe me try it sometime walk outside tonight if you've been in here get into a dark place but it's got a little bit of light you will be able to see better looking out of the corners of your eyes than you will be if you look directly at it and the interesting thing about that is that we have way more rods than we do cones and so you would think that we would be able to see better at night than in the daytime I mean it's like an outrageous number there's like 120 million something rods in your eyes versus like six or seven million cones that's not even close so you would think each and every one of us would have like night vision that we could walk around outside like animals do have no problem we could play football at night at night with with no Friday night lights but the thing is not a single rod is found within the middle degrees of your eyes where your vision focuses hey listen we were never supposed to feel comfortable in darkness Jesus created our eyes in such a way and you may think it's a stretch for me to say this God created our eyes in such a way he didn't even want us to be able to walk around at night without light because he says that's not where you dwell even so far in his word goes on to call us children of light children of the day we were never created to be comfortable with darkness how many of you get weirded out by darkness I mean you just get straight up scared like you, you, hit, you, might be, you might be a 45-year-old grown man, 240 pounds, but as soon as you hit those lights, you jump in that bedroom in one motion underneath the covers just like that. You still think the boogeyman's underneath that bed somewhere. I had somebody put it to me this way. It's, it's not the dark that scares me. It's what's in the dark that scares me. Well, listen to me. We're not supposed to be in the dark. You know what's scary? a believer that's comfortable with darkness if there is such it's amazing how God created our eyes to work this is why our focus and fixing it on Jesus is so monumentally important for us come on back up Caitlin we're going to finish our game of catch Mallory where are you at you can come to you. we're fixing to bring this thing to a close we're going to pick up on our game of catch, and I want to show you why focus is so important. She can determine the direction of where the ball is coming from, just like we did earlier. So if we're going to play catch, and she knows the direction that it's coming from, she's already decided, the way she's looking at me right now, she's already decided we're playing catch, and I believe that this is the direction the ball is going to come from. He's a god of second chances. But here's the thing. It's not just enough to determine the direction. You've got to fix your focus. 
she can know the direction where it's coming from, but if she is not focused, this is the proverbial eye on the ball part. This is us back in the yard as six and 13-year-old kids, me telling you, eye on the ball. <laughs> Same thing I do with my son in the house. Graham, eye on the ball. So many times he just keeps staring right at me. I'm like, no, the ball's over here. Like, eye on the ball. This is the proverbial eye on the ball. It's, what is that doing, though? It's fixing your focus. It's saying that I know the, the, the direction that it's coming in, but I'm going to focus on the object that I desire to receive. So she knows her direction. She fixes her focus. Eye on the ball. Toss it to her. Catch. I can change my direction a little bit, like we did earlier. Still focused on the ball. Throw and catch. I can move a little bit more, focused on the ball, throw and catch. You can drop those. You're going to run out of hand space. Just throw them down. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. You know, how many of you know that, that so many things in life can pull our focus away from where it should be? And so let's say life happens. I've got my direction, it's above. I'm trying to fix my eyes on Jesus. But all of a sudden, tragedy hits and I look to the right. We're still playing catch. Let's say something else happens that, that I'm trying to fix my eyes on Jesus, I'm trying to focus on him, but at the same time I'm trying to be a good student. I put all this work into this exam and then I made an F on it, and I looked to the left. At the same time, Jesus is still giving me things, but I'm missing it. My focus is gone. Let's say something else happens, a, a circumstance of life pops up, and instead of keeping my focus where it should be, I decide to take my eyes off where my focus should be, and I look behind me. The same thing, Jesus is still blessing. There's still things coming your way, but you stop catching them. And so many things in our life will attempt to pull our focus off of Christ and where it should be. Life happens, does it not? Things, things take place that are beyond our control, that are beyond what we can handle. And so often in those moments, we take our eyes off of Jesus. And when that happens, when you look to the right or when you look to the left, it doesn't matter. Jesus gives you opportunity, you miss it. You look to the left one more time, Jesus gives you a purpose and you miss it. All this time you've been asking Jesus for goals and desires and for plans. You turn around and look behind you. He's handing it to you the whole time. And you're missing them right and left over and over again. And you're wondering, where is God in my life? Where are these things that I'm supposed to be receiving from him? They're there. You just took your focus off of them. But the thing is, when you keep your focus on Jesus, every single time he throws you a plan, you'll catch it. When I keep my focus on Jesus... Every single time that he shows me purpose, I'll catch it. When I keep my eye on Jesus, every single time I experience pain or hurt or suffering and he brings me comfort, I'll catch it. Fix your focus. The writer of Hebrews it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely. 
and let us run our race with endurance. What's he say then? Looking, setting our eyes on Jesus. I'll finish my race. Hey, I want to add this, and we're done. I was going to tell you this earlier, but I didn't. I'm just going to assume that I have permission. It's not a bad thing or embarrassing thing. It's not meant to be. <laughs> it's kind of funny that you did what you did on the first toss. My sister was not a natural-born athlete. She didn't excel at sports. She, uh, she found her path playing a musical instrument which I would dare some of you that have the most athletic ability to try to do. She didn't excel at sports. And so, so you missed the first one, okay. But you know what that did? The moment that happened, and this has been true, anytime we went in the yard and played, anytime you, you got up to bat during softball, anytime a fly ball came your way, you had to focus with a greater intensity. Why? Because it just wasn't an easy thing. And so you focused as hard as you could to, to catch the football every time I threw it. You, you had to focus as hard as I promise. She's probably shaking in her boots when she came up here. But she had to focus so intently to catch the ball versus some of us say, that would be nothing. Throw the ball, catch it, one-handed, backhanded, between the legs, whatever, eyes closed. It, it's a lot more natural. It's a lot more easy. Here's the thing. Some of you, when you first came to Christ, your focus was a lot more intent. Why? Because you hadn't done this Christian stuff before. You hadn't done this faith stuff before. You hadn't done this Bible stuff before. You hadn't done this witnessing to my friends, my family members, my coworkers, my teammates stuff before. So your focus was a whole lot greater because it didn't come naturally for you. And then you got 5, 10, 15, 20 years down the road walking in faith with Christ. Now your focus isn't nearly as sharp as it once was because you know how to Christian a little bit. You know how to church a little bit. You know how to faith a little bit. You know how to read your Bible and pray a little bit. You know how to witness a little bit. You've been on some mission trips and you've done some things and your focus is nowhere near as intense as it used to be. And if you were honest, struggling a little bit because of that. There was a, there was a child song we used to sing in church when I was growing up. The first verse of it went like this. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above, He's looking down with love. So be careful, little eyes, what you see. What do you see? Do you need to reset your eyes on Jesus tonight? 